G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is a, another of those hybrid editions, a round 16 review and a round 17 preview as we uh, creep ever closer to the finals and uh, spring in uh, lockdown Melbourne town has finally sprung some lovely weather outside so everyone's spirits should be suitably up uh let's check in on my footyology co-host mark fine how are your spirits finey <laughs> i don't know whether lockdown for day three million two hundred and eight deserves spirits up but the weather is beautiful and i might get back into the garden or as we call it at my house the amazon jungle and carve my way through a bit of that so good weather for that yeah yeah you've got to make the best of what you've got and I think Dan Andrews has given us one hour a day out of lockup to go into the um, exercise yard with the other prisoners so it's nice to have a nice day to do it on. Uh, well I'm not going there in fact I may never venture outside again after uh, being stalked by someone um, who actually managed to take a photo of me eating at a local cafe um which was slightly disturbing to be honest but when uh, when did that happen well the picture was actually pre-lockdown but um yeah someone decided to uh tweet uh, a picture of me eating which i'm sure was of great interest to um people that follow me on twitter so uh there you go i'll, I'll see if i can strike other poses so that would be stalkers and publish my image all over Twitter. It's a strange world. It's an angry world. Um, and uh, a lot of it's coming out on social media. But the footy goes on and we've got a heap to talk about. Uh, I'll tell you what else goes on, Finey. Some great businesses that, uh, well, they're not just struggling on. They are thriving, even in these troubled times. And uh, firstly, I think you should give us a little spiel about our favourite hamburger establishment. Mm. Andrew's hamburgers. You know, I, I don't even know what they back in the sort of fifties and sixties they used to have the um, perfect dimensions for a woman, and I don't even know what they were, and they certainly don't apply today. But I know the perfect dimensions for the perfect burger. Beautiful buns, and I mean fresh daily. That aptly described by. Uh, Rowan Connolly beading vegetables of freshness, that, that, that crisp lettuce, the, the tomato, and then that all beef, not patty, that sounds like the opposition. It's that all beef meat um, centre of the perfect burger and put together with generosity, I make a point of that, expertise, I make a point of that, and 
love and care. Yeah, love in a burger. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Andrew's hamburgers. They're the perfect ingredients for the perfect burger. After 81 years, you think they've got it right? My fur coat. My fur coat. Do you like that? Uh, well, yeah, no, good. as usual, I have to spend 10 seconds deducing what the hell you're talking about. My fur coat. coat. Oh, yeah, that's a uh, Australianism for um, a more polite way to say something oath. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Right. Yeah, that's like wear the fox hat. Correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, correct. All right. Uh, Well, uh, this is no colloquialism because uh, these uh, home renovators are the finest, not just in our local parts, but the entire universe. Finey, who am I talking about? And builders, and builders. But renovation, look, complete, especially in those inner city suburbs of South Melbourne, Port Melbourne, Albert Park, Middle Park, where small properties at the front, old little cottage residences that were back in the day occupied by wharfies and labourers and were considered pretty much a rough part of town is now the uh, bespoke, no, not even bespoke, that's handmade, is now the elite part of town. So bespoke builders are what you need. West Point Properties, Nick Bartels, they've worked right through because they're a small team. Uh, Under COVID laws, they've been allowed to work through and it's the Small eye to detail that makes them great. West Point Properties. Uh, wonderful uh, home renovators, wonderful hamburger providers. And uh, since you mentioned the ideal measurements for a woman from the 50s, I've been, I've been trying to remember what they were. I think it was 36, 24, 36. But Curiously, and perhaps disturbingly, I'm getting that mixed up with the phone number that Bon Scott gives out in Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, which I think is 362436. So, I don't know. There's some weird Freudian thing going on there in my head, but then lockdown has done strange things to us all. And there's there's also Sir Mix-a-Lot. His take on those measurements. And what are his... Well, something like 36, 24, 36, only say five foot two. Oh, well, there you go. Okay. And, uh, or however many centimetres five foot two is. And don't even start me on that one. All right. Uh, yeah. we're, we're going to want to get into. Let's do it now. On Footyology News Feed. Well, some pretty important news around the traps. Uh, I guess the uh, biggest news story of the week concerning all the fallout of the suspended and fined Richmond pair, and that is Sydney Stack and Callum Coleman-Jones, of course, suspended for 10 weeks, fined a poultice uh, for breaking COVID regulations up in the hub, getting into a fight, going to a strip joint, and uh, most importantly, if you're Tom Brown, damaging a kebab. Um, I'm not sure what part of the penalty the uh, damaging the kebab applied to, but no, I shouldn't make light of it because it was pretty serious stuff and uh, speculation continues about their future. Uh, I guess uh, the thing that struck me with this story, Finey, is the um, somewhat uh, illogical leap people make to say that this is a sign that they've got ahead of themselves, they've got arrogant, and uh, Richmond's fabled culture is suddenly 
battered and bruised and coming apart at the seams. I mean, this in combination with the Brooke Cochin beauty spa controversy and uh, Damien Hardwick getting a bit antsy at a couple of presses. Uh, I'm not sure what else uh, people have tried to tie into it, but I've written a column about this that's um, up on Footyology today because uh, I call bulldust on a lot of this, to be honest. I think uh, Richmond's culture is something that is a pretty complex beast and has taken several years to draw together. And it concerns a lot of, uh, well, you know, psychological components in mindfulness, uh, embracing vulnerability. Um, it encompasses more tangible things like a lot of really good welfare and educational programs that the club's worked pretty hard to establish, the integration of all parts of the club. And I just don't believe that things like that uh, sort of come apart at the seams because of one or two off-field incidents. In fact, you could argue that the strength of their culture will be that they're able to tolerate these sorts of things and continue winning, which is exactly what is happening. Still very much a flag favourite. What's your take on this, Fanny? Yeah, I, I really like your take. I read the article uh, on Footyology first uh, went up on ESPN. Because there is definitely no question that, and this can run generations, there is definitely a personality or a character that a club has to build to become a great club. And just as we uh, praise Hawthorne often for, during our lifetime, being a club where the, the bar is set high and expectations are such that they quickly, even through downtimes, and now's an apt time to talk about it, uh, are able to regroup and become a force. And, and there's something about just a belief in that club that that will happen, uh, that almost makes it happen. And conversely, Melbourne are almost, through my lifetime, the very opposite of that, that they have not been able to, you know, stare ultimate success in the face and and have a genuine grasp at it. Uh, St Kilda may be the same, but but I think St Kilda played in grand finals. I, I just believe that there's a character that a club has, but that is a, a much more powerful thing than what people describe as culture based on behaviour of certain players at certain time. And I think that is absolutely grandstanding and, you know, <laughs> hindsight's twenty twenty, isn't it? When people look back and go, that year was uh, a sort of um, derailed because player A did, you know, so-and-so that got them in the front of the newspaper instead of the back of the paper. It's not true. It doesn't work like that. If it worked like that, West Coast wouldn't have won flags during the time of, well, we know, you know, during... Uh, Ben Cousins' time at the club, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> if any club could have been derailed by the behaviours of individuals, it would have been the Eagles, wouldn't it, Rowan? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, a lot of that didn't really see the light of day publicly until, uh, well, at least a year after they won that flag. But it's it's the revisionism which I find pretty annoying yeah, well, that's too. It. And without, you know, I mean, well, no, I am singling someone out because I just found this quote, nothing personal, but I noticed Kane Corns, I think it was on the Sunday footy show, was talking about the culture. And he, the quote reads, 
there's definitely a sense of entitlement, a sense of arrogance about that club at the moment. The best clubs, the ones that I admire the most, are those dynasties that went about their work so humbly, like Geelong, like Hawthorne of this era. That's not what can be associated with Richmond at the moment. Well, Kane, you've got a short memory because like any club that is up the top for any sustained period of time inevitably gets tagged at some stage as arrogant. And that definitely happened with both Hawthorne and Geelong. And, um, you know, the, the ironic thing about Geelong particularly is it was one of those off-field incidents, which is often cited as being the big turning point in their cultural change. Stevie Johnson getting into trouble and being suspended by his teammates for six or seven games or whatever it was. Hawthorne ritually wore uh, accusations of being arrogant. I mean, it, it's just, it's way too convenient to, I mean, in footy terms, simply, and this was the headline on, on this piece on ESPN, but in footy, two plus two seldom equals four. And, uh, you know, I, I look, I mean, it's, I understand why the media chooses that narrative because it's convenient and uh, people will read it and, and whatever, but culture has to come hand in hand with a, a certain word called nuance. And uh, you can't have such simplistic judgments being made. And, and if you're referring them back to a culture, uh, what, what sort of shallow culture would you have to have if something like this was enough to destroy everything? So I'm sure that if Richmond go on a win the flag, the, you will end up reading, you know, the year Richmond won the flag in spite of blah, 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 blah. But I just don't think it's the case. Rowan, I'll tell you how stupid talking about culture at football clubs is in terms of uh, behaviour on a week-to-week basis of players, etc. Okay, uh, if there is a, a clear picture in, say, Kane Corns' mind of what is happening at Richmond, uh, then he must believe that, that, that there is a, a culture in every club that can be also assessed. So tell me what the 18 clubs' cultures are at the moment. Is there a, a culture of excellence at Port Adelaide? Is there a culture of, um, of mediocrity and worse at Adelaide, but improving? Is a club in the middle of the ladder have sort of a middling culture. I mean, you just can't slam square blocks into square, you know, square pegs into square holes at this stage. It is ridiculous because it doesn't consistently read for the 18 clubs and it pulls that theory apart. The only place where there is culture um, that can be measured and quantified is in a tub of yogurt. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, no, agree, agree. Uh, let's move on. Uh, the other and by the way, well done to you, Rowan. Well done by something you did at the beginning of that story. What was that? You know, when you hear people, especially well spoken people in the media speak, and there are certain terms of phrase, and you, you find yourself in your mind finishing that sentence, you yeah. sucked me in beautifully. Very rare is this done because you said that. Stack and Coleman Jones were fined a poultice. And I thought you were about to use the term a paltry amount. And that's one of the rare occasions where I didn't finish the sentence correctly. Okay. Well done, me. Um, yeah. 
All right, let's move on. The other, uh, I guess, significant for one club, obviously, uh, story of the week is the announcement that uh, Essendon has lost Connor McKenna. He, he has retired from AFL football uh, effective immediately. Uh, we'll go home to Ireland. Now, this has been on the cards for a long time and it's been obvious. Um, he's had a, a terrible year with the, the COVID stuff and homesickness. Uh, he's openly talked frequently. And, yeah, homesickness, COVID, what else? Well, I don't know. I'm waiting for you to finish. Played out of position completely. What? Oh, yeah. s- well, that was, by, that was by his request him. and it only happened for a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, well, you don't. It was a muck-up. Yeah, well, it didn't, it didn't work. But uh, the bottom line is Essendon has lost a guy who now, you know, in, in the current environment, no question, is one of their top half a dozen players. Uh, his runoff halfback has been valuable for them. Um, and I'm not sure he's replaceable. And it's yet another sorry chapter in what is uh, becoming a pretty awful year for the Essendon Football Club, finding the consequences of the McKenna decision. Yeah, it, it, it really is a bad loss because, you see, Essendon at their best last season, which is why it was so stupid playing him forward, was when McKenna and Sarge were off the half-back line. Now, I think most teams have a plan for a running backman. I think no teams have a plan for two running backmen. And when they got that right, that's actually, I think, when Essendon looked their best. And it is a bad, a sad loss. Not all Essendon Football Club's fault because he was really upset and has every right to be upset with how he was treated by the media when he came back with that COVID scare. It's not a crime to get COVID-19. And he was treated like somebody who had betrayed the club, betrayed Melbourne. At that stage, he had broken no laws. You know, it's not, we weren't in stage four and we didn't know what we do now. And he was very harshly treated by not social media, by the media, the the um, uh, print, uh, TV and radio, the mainstream media. Well, if nothing else, I mean, uh, it, it, there was a, a real lack of compassion about someone's health, you know? I mean, it was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, in, that initial reporting of it was reported, uh, not in, oh, gee, this guy's got COVID. It was... Oh no! Does this put the season on the line? You know, it's sort of like, oh well, you know, he's just collateral damage. Um, I yeah. wonder, given what it, it, it reminds—sorry, it reminded me of the early days of AIDS, when people who unwittingly transmitted the disease were, were, were you know, considered out-and-out criminals, even though they unwittingly transmitted it. It, it really reminded me of that. Well, I wonder if, uh, having been through what we've been through since, I wonder if it were to happen now, whether the reporting would be any more sensitive. But somehow, given the state of the media, I tend to doubt it. Um, so not not great for the Bombers. And uh, look, we'll just touch on this one briefly because we have talked a lot about Essendon, but former uh, Premiership player and assistant coach Dean Wallace um, has levelled some explosive allegations at his former club. Um, well, he, he gave it a decent old whack about the lack of uh, lack of uh, culture, dare I say it, but uh, lack of spirit uh, and the club having lost its soul and, and lost its way. Um, 
Now, his, it needs to be pointed out that his dismissal from the club came in fairly acrimonious circumstances. Um, there was uh, accusations about you know, not having adequately kept records about the supplements that were being used. Um, he did serve a suspension, a short suspension for having bet on uh, matches. Um, so there's certainly a tendency on the part of some people to dismiss what he's saying as just the whinges of a disgruntled employee. But I have to say, uh, and again, without sort of retracing old territory, I think a lot of what he had to say really resonated with me in terms of um, but it's really it's lost all sense of potency and 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 spirit and of being a, a an important player in the footy landscape. Probably the most telling part of it was he was retelling um, the story of being on Graham McMahon's deathbed, the uh, former Essendon president who presided over that great era at the end of last century and early this century. And he said that Graham McMahon said to him, Wally, you've got to fix this club because it's effed. And that was in 2014. So... Um, I think uh, Matthew Lloyd's come out and had a sizable crack at the Bombers. Tim Watson's had a crack, and I think that's going to be the issue. There's a lot of people unhappy, but at least they can manage to come together as a unified force and force a spill of the board and an extraordinary election and tip out the administration, etc., etc. I don't think a lot's going to change. Rowan, I... Um... Read that article. Dean Wallace is an interesting character because he's sort of, I reckon, more loved and respected post his career than he was throughout his career by Essendon people. Just he, he earned respect, didn't he, uh, eventually throughout his career. And I think his words will really resonate. I think the cat's out of the bag now, mate. I, I, I think that there's going to be um, uh, some changes at Essendon at board level, at um, potentially, I'll, I'll put not too fine a point on it. I wonder whether Ben Rutten is 100% certain to coach the club next year. I mean, that is, and it's not too long a bow to draw because, I mean, Ben Rutten has virtually coached this team this year. This is not, if they're looking, and Essendon should be looking to uh, uh, sweeping a broom through that club, then Ben Rutten, I don't know whether this succession plan is is a good idea, and I certainly don't know whether it's one hundred percent sure of happening. Um, yeah, I know where you're coming from. I, I just, again, I, I don't think the forces uh, agitating are organised enough to have this all happen in nearly enough time. Um, so I, I predict the status quo will remain. Whether or not that's a good thing, um, I would reserve judgment on that at the very least. All right, we've got to move on. Um, uh, final item, and it's only emerged as we record this quite recently, but uh, Sam Edmund uh, of SEN reporting that Carlton's Matthew Cruiser has played his last game and will announce his retirement, um, which is pretty sad, isn't it? You're talking about a guy who uh, was one of the first, I guess, poster boys for the number one draft pick, um, came into league footy with that uh, amount of hype over him, number one pick in the 2007 draft, uh, 189 games over 13 seasons. It has been a while. 
Um, but just absolutely injury plague, wasn't he? And, you know, the, the times he was able to get a clear run at it, we saw just how valuable he could be. In, in fact, even not ahead of his time, but a, a real shining example of that mobile, agile ruckman who could have an impact around the ground as well as uh, in the ruck work. And, uh, you know, there were periods where he played some fantastic football, but just injury after injury. And uh, it's, it's sad that basically we're just never going to have seen the best of Matthew Cruiser. Very similar career to, and somebody whose name is not that dissimilar, to Justin Kaczynski. Um, Kaczynski went two in the draft, but that was the one-two draft with Rewalt. Kaczynski played 13 seasons, 200 games, and injury prevented football fans from seeing the best of Kaczynski because there certainly was uh, a brilliant side to his play as well. And, yeah, in both cases, and certainly in Cruz's case, uh, both players, uh, crueled by injury. The one question I asked Rowan is, um, sounds like there's going to be a press conference today where he announces his retirement. How does a footballer with the nickname Humphrey after Humphrey B. Bear have a press conference? <laughs> uh, well, I understand Patsy Bisco is going to attend as well just to help him deliver That's that final statement. And if that, and all I can say for Humphrey is please wear your pants. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. There is one other story, of course, just quickly, and that is Croc Media and COVID-19. And, of course, it is a story. It's a serious matter because there was uh, two employees at the studios, recording studios of SEN, have tested positive to COVID-19. Um, I guess the good news broadcast-wise is that most of their presenters have been broadcasting from home studios. Mm. So it will impact some of their programming, I'm sure but maybe not some of the main programs, but the big impact has been felt on the footy talk shows on TV because there are um, quite a few croc media um, employees and, and or people who, who do work for croc media who've been through the studio and that made for a very different looking, uh, is it on the couch? On, I don't know what they're called, on Channel 9? That's footy um, classified. Footy classified where... Matthew Lloyd and Caroline Wilson had to excuse themselves, not because they've tested positive, but because they will now need a 14-day exclusion, having been in vicinity of um, the studios and the people that have, have had tested positive. So it will have an impact over the next couple of weeks on who we see on TV and who we hear on radio. Uh, it will indeed, and uh, those people affected. Among that, um, we wish them a speedy recovery, and uh, you know, as we do, everyone affected by this horrible virus. And hopefully, we are seeing slowly a bit of uh, a return to, well, not normality, but uh, we're getting a bit closer to being able to live normally again. Fingers crossed. All right, there is enough news. Uh, We've got a stack of games to both review and preview. Let's do that. On Footyology, wrap around. Okay, round 16 completed and uh, the second half of the round, if you like, started in Cairns on Monday evening with Melbourne taking on Fremantle. Uh, important game for the Demons and they blew it. It was Fremantle emerging victorious by 14 points, 
47, defeating Melbourne, 4, 9, 33. Three of those six goals for the Dockers coming to the very gifted Michael Walters, Darcy, Chera and Frederick right on the siren. The others, all singles for the Demons, Hunt, Wiedemann, Vandenberg and Fritsch. Um, it sort of looked like the writing was on the wall pretty early in this game, Finey. Frio, inaccurate early, but 1-6 um, to just one behind at quarter time. Uh, still a goal up at half time. Three goals to one in the third quarter. And then a couple of goals each in the last. Melbourne just got a little bit of a sniff, but frankly, Frio played the better footy for uh, most of the four quarters. And Thoroughly deserved win, whilst Melbourne uh, may look back on this as the loss that cost them a finals chance. How did you see this going? Oh, this was, for Melbourne supporters, Groundhog Day. Not this year, years past. You ask any Melbourne supporter if they've got a game that means a lot that they should win, one that you'd pencil in, that's where they get their hearts broken. And, you know, to quote um, Lisa Simpson replaying poor old... Oh, Bart Simpson replaying poor old Ralphie Wiggum when Lisa broke his heart. This is the moment you broke his heart. And this was the moment where Melbourne's tolerance for their club again got tested and the response in social media has been stinging. Who cost them the game? You know what? Uh, starts at the top, G-Max gone. I don't know, he's, he's got to provide more leadership, more more drive against a uh, a lesser-known rucking combination. Um, Petrarca was the guy at the end who gave them a bit of a sniff, but didn't really click throughout the game. Clayton Oliver's disposal by foot again is questioned. He did a kick in that last quarter when they were a half a sniff. You know, they were driving forward. It was wet. It was either raining or slippery the entire night. So not an easy game to play football. But he actually did a backward cut. I've, he kicked the ball and it went behind point straight to a Freo player. Um, uh, for Fremantle, sort of in reviewing the game, I think I said, you know, if Walters could find some form, that might be a match winning formula. I tip Melbourne, of course. My tips are hopeless, but he did find form. He looked really dangerous throughout the night. Chera's a strong body. Gee, he's a good kid. He's, oh, they interviewed him after the game. He's got a beautiful physique and he used it and to good purpose in the game. I've got to say, Melbourne were just for the entire, you're right. Look, they easily could have been further down. Um, for a lot of the uh, sort of game, they were up by that 10 points, but it was always, um, let's say they were up by 11, uh, by 14 points, it was like one goal eight. Or if they up by seven points, it was seven behinds. And that tells a tale. And the tale was that most of the game was played on Fremantle's terms. So well played to Fremantle. For Melbourne, it is Tatar another season of great frustration for long-suffering fans, even though this one has been done sort of, you know, at a long way away 
it's a funny place to lose the season for a Melbourne fan, Cairns, but that's where they lost it. Yeah, it's been um, just briefly on Frio. It's been, ended up being a really, really positive season, I think. And uh, you know, we said a lot early on that they were consistently competitive, even when they weren't getting the wins. And you know, uh, pluses everywhere, really. And nonetheless, the uh, em- rapid emergence um, this season of uh, Caleb Sarong, uh, who you know, now joins that band of Brayshaw and, and Chera. Um, they've got some seriously good players coming through and you just feel Justin Longmuir has put it together nicely. There's good spirit about them, probably becoming a bit more potent in an attacking sense as the last string to the bow they need, but uh, a really, really positive year for Frio. Melbourne, well, uh, their fate will be sorted out very shortly in a game that we will shortly preview. Uh, but that was Monday evening. Uh, we had a double header on Tuesday. Tuesday, of course, it was a double header uh, of AFL footy starting at five ten or whatever it was. But let's turn our attention to that. First game on Tuesday afternoon, Adelaide coming off their first win of a season up against GWS, erratic but uh, with some finals prospects needing the victory, surely. They wouldn't let this one slip. Well, well, well. They did let it slip. Adelaide now having won two games in a row. Terrific performance from the Crows. 8-11-59. 12-point victors over GWS. 7-5-47. A victory. Well, they were the better side for most of the game. But uh, third quarter proving the decisive period when they kicked five goals straight to the Giants three. Uh, the goal kickers, Elliot Himmelberg two, McAdam two, singles to Stengel, Walker, Sloan and Matt Crouch. For the Giants, Finlayson, the only multiple goal kicker with two, Hill, Caldwell, Jacobs, Cameron and Shaw. Uh, the Giants just confirming their flaky reputation. Uh, who can tell what they're going to turn up these days? But Adelaide, it was, I really did enjoy watching Adelaide's confidence palpably grow off the back of that first win. And the likes of, uh, I mean, McAdam, he is clearly going to be a really good player for them. I think we've seen Stengel clearly add some brilliance to the equation. You know, so there's a bit of excitement about them now. Um, I think the senior players are weighing in pretty consistently now too. Rory Laird has been... Uh, revived, I think, with a bit of a, a shift to the midfield. The Crouch brothers are prolific. Riley O'Brien's been a decent player in the ruck for them for a while now. And I think Himmelberg is, uh, gee, he does look like a German stormtrooper. The name Horst Hubresch, a German soccer player from the 1982 World Cup, came to mind. But he is a potential long-term uh, key forward for them. So, you know, again, we talked about this a lot. People always go gloom and doom about a side that's not winning games, but you're never that far away from a revival. And uh, the Crows now two on end, turned up some prospects. Um, it's a very, very different scenario for them than it was a fortnight ago, Forney. Yeah, it may be what two wins, certainly the second win against a top eight contender in last year's runner runners up really sort of franks what is happening in Adelaide and they will exit the season in a couple of games 
with some confidence that the quick turnaround enjoyed by their crosstown rivals, Port Adelaide, may well happen to them. And we know that interstate teams that have their house in order can quickly climb back up the ladder because when things return to normal, uh, Fortress Adelaide Oval, which is where they've won these two games, becomes the good basis for having a launch at the top eight, doesn't it? We've already... Nobody wants... Nobody would want to play in Adelaide Oval for the remaining two matches of the season because they've made it look like a hard place to play. Players that were previously um, under the microscope, say a Fogarty, is starting to play decent football. And I want to mention Rory Sloan because he's a guy that's been belted, you know, physically. I mean, look, he's been knocked from pillar to post and he looked early on in the year even before his injury, like a pretty spent commodity. But he's come back, and to his full credit, again, you know, that brave, um, hard tackling and at times very attacking midfielder seems to have got his mojo back. So well done to Rory Sloan in the twilight of his career. Got to mention GWS. Look, if football was run on the same basis that all television programs are now run, because we only get reality TV on Australian TV, um, I reckon the public vote would see GWS eliminated at the end of round 15. I think everybody's just about sick and tired of them. Whether their best is good enough to... I don't know what it is good enough to do, because it only exists for a quarter or two. And that was good enough to get them a couple of wins but they couldn't beat the bottom team trying that same those same shenanigans, and they never really happened anyhow against Adelaide. Uh, GWS, I don't think I don't think too many people really want to see them in the top eight, if you know what I mean, because they're so disappointing. What do you reckon? Uh, yeah, I, I'm a bit the same way. Um, I mean, even you know, if you go back to last year, they were fantastic for three weeks of the finals, but they were guilty of turning in a stinker on the, in the game that we were most looking forward to. And, um, you know, that's always a bit of a bummer. So, yeah, look, they just they can't sustain form for any period of time. And, and as I've said a number of times, you know, like we, we've sort of overestimated them, I think, on the back of those first three finals from last year. If you look at the totality of their form across last year and this year, uh, they're a side that can't be relied upon. Disappointing. I mean, their their forward setup, I think, is the thing that probably disappoints me the most. Cameron, you know, it's been a lot written about him, but he's he's been in pretty ordinary. Nick Finlayson seems to have slipped from the sort of potent forward he was last year. Himmelberg, you know, we like the look of Himmelberg ever since he kicked four goals in that preliminary final back in 2017, but. Again, he does a disappearing act too. And uh, it's a side that's gone from having an even spread of talent to being totally or way too dependent upon really one player, Toby Green. And uh, unfortunately for him, there's not enough willing uh, co-passengers on that ride. So um, they are destined to disappoint whether they make the finals or not. And uh, yeah, I think from a competitive point of view, it might be better if they didn't make it. Uh, okay, that was the first leg of the Tuesday doubleheader. Time to talk about the second week. 
Well, this was a, a game of uh, some massive twists and turns and a thrilling finish. It was Carlton and Sydney at Metricon Stadium. And the Blues, they're uh, developing a habit of being able to sneak over the line in the close ones. And they did in this one too, most staggeringly, after in pretty difficult conditions, finding themselves 39 points down, having conceded the first seven goals of the game. Remarkable, really absolutely remarkable win in the end. Uh, one they'll get a huge boost from, I suspect. Eight goals, nine, 57 by five points over the Swans. Eight for 52. Uh, Matthew Cottrell, the hero, with a huge grab and goal to give them the lead. Lewis Taylor having the chance to restore that lead for the Swans, but missing. And it's a, eh, not gimme, but it was pretty simple, really. 30 metres out, pretty much directly in front, missed the chance. The Blues end up winning the game uh, amid scenes of delight, sort of reminiscent of their win over Fremantle, minus the post-siren goal. Two goals to Harry Mackay, singles to Fisher, Walsh, Cripps, Casbolt and Nunes. Uh, for Sydney, Ollie Florent, the only multiple goal kicker with two. McLean, Reed, McInerney, Hayward, Taylor, and Dawson, and uh, a triumphant performance, uh, finally, for one man in particular, Sam Walsh, who I know you're not the only one, uh, been pretty harsh on, but this was a, a terrific game from him, I thought. One of the best he's turned out thus far. And uh, skipper Patrick Cripps, also very, very good. And one other guy, just before I throw it to you, who we've... Uh, haven't seen enough of in the last couple of years, but I thought really good for the Blues in this one. Sam Petrovsky Seaton. What'd you make of this? Yeah, yeah, Petrovsky Seaton was really good. Um, took a, a, a telling mark in that last quarter. Again, not played in perfect conditions. You know what I liked about Carlton's incredible turnaround because at seven goals to none, this was a procession, is that it didn't take them to get in the sheds at half time and have their game plan either reiterated or changed by David Teague to turn the game around. And so often in the modern game, it seems as though players don't have a mind of their own on field and can't, uh, whether it's lack of on field leadership or lack of on field um, football mouse and intuition and game sense. Uh, it really often takes, especially younger teams, inexperienced teams and teams outside the eight, a talking to by the coach to reset the side. But actually, they kicked four goals before half time in probably what was that match winning, match saving, and then giving them the opportunity to win the game in the second half. And it was good that they kicked those four goals. It came through a real lifting form by Patrick Cripps. He was certainly part of the engine. A great goal, as you mentioned, from a very good game by, and a great game by Sam Walsh. So well done to him. Um, Harry Mackay has decided, even though he marks the ball 30 metres out directly in front, he's going to be the latest person to kick around the corner. He did that twice for both his goals. Uh, what do you make of that? That was interesting, Rowan. Uh, I'm, I'm not a fan. Well, Joe Danner has done it and it's bought him a cropper. I mean, you know, I guess it's got to be whatever a player is comfortable with. But, I mean, when when you're in 
anywhere from right in front to a 45 degree angle. I mean, it just, it seems silly to me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not the one kicking for goal. Okay. Well, if you think it's silly, I'm going to tell you something in the next game that you're going to think is insane, but I'm telling you it was absolutely brilliant. But we'll stick to this game. Uh, as for the Sydney Swans, look, they lose the game, but they don't lose too many fans, I don't reckon, from what they're trying to do. Um, everybody's beginning to love McInerney, aren't they? He's a good ball user. And when you've got guys like Dawson and McInerney that are certainly going to be a big part of the team for the next 10 years, that are beautiful users of the ball, you start to build a side that has an optimistic future, don't you? I think Florence come on this year. I wish Haywood was as consistent as he was. Brilliant when he gets the ball, but he doesn't get it enough. Um, And... Uh, look, this is no revelation because I think it, it stands out like um, the hanging bits on a dog, but a male dog. Tom McCartan is a very good backman and I think that's where his future is. So they can build a team around what they've got. Not, I know people talk about Franklin. You know what? Very important at either end are Rampy and Heaney. Put them in that team. And you're starting to build a very nice team for the future. Yeah, they've made a they've made a, a very good uh, year out of something that could have been an unmitigated disaster. And credit to them. And getting back to our really dis- earlier discussion, that to me is a reflection on culture that they've been able to sort of collectively show a bit of resilience and and I guess turn their attention to pursuing other goals just than getting a spot in the finals. And uh, it, it's been great for them. I think the most promising thing personally is the way that uh, almost subtly they've changed up their brand. I mean, they're not, uh, they're, um, they're, they've added more strings to their bow. I think they've now got a bit of run and they, they like to play on the outside a bit more. Guys on McInerney are central to that. And I think you're going to see the fruits of that over the next few years. So they've added some strings to their bow. They've turned up players. Um, you know, the the winning part will come. As for Carlton, well, it's been a bloody good year for them and may still, uh, fingers crossed, play finals. Uh, they were the two games on Tuesday. One game to wrap it up on Wednesday evening. A Q clash finished off round 16. Uh, perhaps predictably, it resulted in a very comfortable win to Brisbane right up the top end of the ladder. 13 goals, 10, 88, 45-point victors over Gold Coast, 6, 7, 43. Uh, the damage done early as is the case in so many games this year, Brisbane five goals to one in that first quarter. Uh, and thereafter, just gradually increasing the advantage. The goals evenly shared three to Cam Rayner, two to Charlie Cameron, two to Zane, Dane Zorko, singles to Berry, Hipwood, McCarthy, McLuggage, McStay and Robinson for Gold Coast, two to Corbett, two to King, singles to Weller and Ainsworth. Um, injuries becoming a bit of an issue for Brisbane. No, Jared Berry, who's been terrific for them lately. Uh, a shoulder injury remains to be seen how serious that is and how long he might be out for. Uh, but in conjunction with losing the likes of Harris Andrews for six weeks, and boy, that could be a savage blow to them. 
Uh, things not just going according to plan for the Lions at the moment. Uh, concussion to young Brandon Stasevic as well. Uh, but hopefully we'd see him back sooner than later. Disappointing performance from Gold Coast, who uh, you know just starting to smack a bit of the uh, looking forward to the end of the season. Look about them. Brisbane, obviously, with bigger fish to fry. And this was a, a, you know, they've been unimpressive winners of late, Finey, but this one was a lot better. Um, certainly got more bang for their buck in a goal-kicking sense. Uh, fixed up the accuracy a bit and uh, looked pretty potent up forward with, uh, well, 23 scores. So uh, as an exercise in building some confidence, looking ahead to another finals campaign, uh, it was an encouraging win by them, I thought. What do you think? They fixed up the accuracy a bit, but congratulations to Cam Rayner for the miss of the season and certainly one of the all-time great misses. Because when you take a mark in the goal square, I don't think there's a level of football. You're not supposed to go back and kick the goal, are you? <laughs> God, what a miss that was. Um, Hipwoods might be hopeless in front of goal, but I'll tell you what, He's starting to play very, very well everywhere else. He he really covered some ground and was very good, but goal kicking an issue. I've got to say that, that first quarter by the Gold Coast was the worst quarter of football played this season by any team, I reckon. They fumbled, they bumbled, they were humbled, they crumbled, they were terrible. I mean, they were dropping marks, missing handballs uh, five metres away, dropping chess marks, then handballing to guys that weren't looking. Everything was terrible. Uh, uh, you know, terrible free kicks given away. And then a game plan where ever they got the ball, they just kicked it to the boundary, then along the boundary, gave away 50 metre penalties. I mean, uh, that one that Lukosius, Lukosius gave away a 50 metre penalty that you tell a 10-year-old off for what he did. He clearly yeah, dropped was, in the ball. It was very precocious. Uh, yeah, it was very... Um, oh, there's not a worm that rhymes with it. It was very... What's the opposite to precocious? If, if a young child is precocious, meaning he's ahead of the curve, because he got caught holding the ball. The umpire blew the whistle holding the ball, and he didn't throw it back to the player. He just dropped it at the feet of the boundary umpire and then complained that he thought it was a throw-in. Really? Um, yeah, for Gold Coast, they just need to finish the season off with a bit more dignity and a bit more... You know, they're not playing to win a spot in the eight, so I don't know why they employed this sort of negative grinding tactic that didn't work because they played terribly anyhow. But they just... Take the game on, you know, don't play with negativity. Oh, not a great night for the Gold Coast, but as you said, better for Brisbane, who've been scoring about 50 points a game for the last three games. So better in that sense. Now, do you want to hear my crazy football idea? Uh, yeah. For Brisbane? If Carly Cameron takes a mark, has a set shot, um, 30, 40 metres out of goal, his record is terrible unless he's kicking from the boundary where he never, ever misses. He did it again last night. Now, if he takes the mark 30 metres out on a 45-degree angle, there's nothing in the rules 
that says he can't make the angle worse. You can only not make the angle better. Can he walk towards the boundary, or not all the way, but to a point where he's comfortable with that big banana kick of his? Uh, well, can he? Uh, yes. Uh, will he? Uh, no. Should he? Well, <laughs> he's got a record. He's he set shots. He's set shots from when he's kicking with a drop punt are like two goals eight. Yeah. And his banana kicks are like five goals straight. But yeah, he doesn't well... do those bananas from straight in front. He likes the bananas from the boundary. Oh, it would be a very, very brave uh, player who would try that and uh, a very l- left-field coach who would be uh, part of that uh, plan, I think. Um, we might have the two candidates. No, I know they're not going to do it, but I'm just pointing out how unusual it is that when he's got the ball on the boundary, you're far more comfortable than when he's got it, not directly in front, but on any sort of angle. All right, that is round 16 wrapped up. Uh, Let's preview round 17. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Round 17 kicking off Thursday evening and a couple of really big games to uh, start proceedings with the round of footy. Number least, the Gabba, 7-10 Eastern Standard Time. It is St Kilda taking on West Coast. Really looking forward to this one. Uh, Things not going pear-shaped for the Eagles, but certainly not in the position of strength they were only a few short weeks ago. And the injuries just racking up at the moment, currently without Dom Sheed, uh, Jack Redden now has hurt his thumb, uh, Lewis Jetta, Mark Hutchings, Luke Shuey, Elliot Yo, Jamie Cripps, of course, has been unavailable uh, with the birth of his child. That is a lot of talent to be missing from the lineup even with Nick Natanui, Shannon Hearn coming back. And uh, our one of our favourites finally returning to the lineup this week, Jack Petricelli. Geez, quick. Geez, quick. He is quick. <laughs> I hope he hasn't <laughs> lost any of that pace uh, whilst he hasn't been playing. But a really good chance for your Saints to stake their claims. Um, and uh, it got the job done. Last week, not uh, perhaps leaving a bit to be desired, but uh, it is a great test for them. I've got to admit, look, ordinarily I would look at this and say West Coast has the superior talent, but I'm not sure that's the case in this game with that long roll call of key players unavailable, number least in the midfield. Really good chance for St Kilda to grab the advantage there, I think. Uh I'm going for the Saints here. I, I just think West Coast too far down in manpower to win this one. Uh, what say you? Yeah, great opportunity for St Kilda. Certainly the idea of playing West Coast as an underdog and having, you know, uh, playing it from that position goes. This is uh, St Kilda should win this game. That midfield has been decimated. And really, it's now... As a frontline player, got Tim Kelly with Gaff on the outside. Now it's going to be hard for them to generate enough clearance and good ball for that forward line, which remains very dangerous because Liam Ryan's in cherry ripe form. Kennedy and Darling always provide headache for opposition. I guess the one big question mark here from selection is um, 
what future Jake Carlisle, if they don't bring him back for this game, where Darling and Kennedy play, of course, Dougal Howard will take probably Kennedy, but when are they going to play him? So I think the future at St Kilda, at least for Jake Carlisle, looks done and dusted. Very surprised he wasn't selected. I pick St Kilda. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, uh, you throw in Waterman, Allen as well. There's uh, certainly no shortage of height up forward, uh, which, again, ordinarily would be a real threat. But uh, I just can't see how they're going to get the ball in that forward 50 often enough. Uh, yep, great chances, St Kilda. We're both going to go for the Saints. Friday evening, and uh, we've had uh, maybe one or two of these already, but uh, this one looks the most convincing version yet. What am I talking about? The old favourite potential grand final preview. Metricon Stadium, Friday night, 7.50. It is Geelong taking on Richmond. Uh, your thoughts on this one, Finey? Well, Geelong has just been fantastic this year. They are the form team of the competition. Make no bones about it. I mean, let's be honest. They've got the best full forward in the competition. They've got the best uh, backline, I think, in terms of functionality in the competition. That backline, and let's be when I say be honest, Henderson, who would have given him many games, let alone made him a central part of that discussion. But Blitzav's great. O'Connor and Henry get the job done. And you know what I think of Tom Stewart. Uh, the midfield, they've got plenty of power there. Manigol has had a fantastic season. Uh, Dangerfield, midfield forward, shows how much they rely, uh, how less reliant they are on him in the midfield, that they can actually play him forward as much as they do. Because, of course, the uh, ascension of Cam Guthrie. They've got everybody covered bar one side, Richmond. And, of course, through Richmond's fantastic uh, two premierships uh, over the last three years, and, of course, being a powerhouse in that third year anyhow, they have had Geelong, especially in finals, big games. I'm going to stick with Richmond. I just think that this is one that they are going to be... They understand the relevance of this game and they're not in the top four yet Richmond as a certainty as a certainty it's an enormous game for them and I think they will treat it like a final and I would not be tipping Geelong over Richmond in a final so Tigers for me uh, yes and for me and for the same reasons I think this is the moment at which it will it will start really clicking into gear for the Tigers uh, Dylan Grimes set to return and Kane Lambert too who strangely after all this time still gets sort of consigned to an afterthought in some naive minds he is crucial to that midfield equation and uh, that could the fact that he's on board you might see Paddy Dangerfield spend more time midfield and uh, there's a very very tantalising potential matchup Paddy Dangerfield opposed to Dustin Martin uh, wow, wouldn't it be great to see those two going head-to-head for at least a portion of this game? Of course, the Cats likely to regain Joel Selwood, uh, Zach Tui, and Reece Stanley as well. So it's got uh, potential epic written all over it, this game. Really looking forward to it. But you're right, Finey. Uh, Geelong just cannot get a handle on the Tigers. The Tigers have won four of the last five clashes between these two sides and uh, none more important than the last one, which was for a grand final spot last year. Geelong led that one 
by, I think, 21 points at half time, but Richmond prevailed in the end. I think that's what will happen this time as well. Tigers for me. Let's go to Saturday, 2.10 p.m. North Melbourne taking on Fremantle at Metricon Stadium. Uh, we've wrapped up the Dockers. They've, uh, they're going to end this year with plenty of credits in the bank. Not so the Roos, unfortunately. Uh, they have been pretty ordinary. They've lost 12 of their last 13 games now and, and now only a game clear of Adelaide, who are on the bottom of the ladder. Uh, it really, uh, you're talking about sides wanting the season finished. I don't think there's any better example of that than the Roos. Hard to see how they're going to uh, find enough to beat the Dockers, who are very well structured, playing a, a good disciplined game style. Need to score a bit more, but uh, some obvious talent shining through. We talked about it earlier. Chera, Brayshaw, Sarong, Nat Fife, the cream on the cake. I think that is too much for the Roos to handle. And I'm going for Fremantle, Finey. Yeah, I mean, you could easily pick Fremantle just on the sort of um, verve with which team are attacking their football at the moment, couldn't you? You could say that Fremantle would love the season to keep going because they've just got an appetite. North don't. I think you said that. But beyond that, actually, player for player, you should pick Fremantle. That's why I'm going for Fremantle at the double. All right. Dockers for both of us there. Speaking about one-sided contests, this one could be ugly. It is at Adelaide Oval, Saturday, 4.35 local time, 5.05 Eastern Standard Time. Port Adelaide taking on Essendon. Port, on top of the ladder, have been all season staking their claims as a very legitimate premiership chance. Uh, actually wrote a column about uh, that one this week too for Australian Community Media. I had a good look at their numbers, finally, and their numbers are very, very solid, ranked highly in both defence, as they have been for a couple of years now, and attack, attack ticking over nicely. Their midfield is on song with Travis Boak in outstanding form. Ollie Wines, uh, getting back to his best, has made a huge difference. And Tom Rockcliffe, almost sort of overlooked in a way, but he's uh, back to his best as well. That's a pretty seasoned trio to be taking into a finals campaign, I reckon. Plus the enthusiastic kids who have made such a, a difference to them. They're an exciting side. They're a very capable side. As for the mob they're playing, well, you only had to watch that Geelong game last week to see how devoid of spirit are the Bombers at the moment. Uh, injury plagued as well. Andy McGrath's been a huge loss for them. But uh, again, another team looking like they just want the mercy rule introduced. Little interest in turning things around. Little chance of turning things around, I would have thought. I think Port Adelaide's going to win this one very, very handsomely. You know, in the old Roman Colosseum times, when they fought to the death and Caesar was in attendance, they would look up these just before the winner that delivered, well, whether or not he delivered the death blow would be decided on the thumb of Caesar. Thumbs up, the vanquished lived. Thumbs down, put the sword through him. Thumbs down, Essendon. Port Adelaide are going to run a sword through you. And it might just be what the club needs to be the impetus for some real 
off-field change. I think the signs are all there for a an almighty shellacking. Maybe, just maybe, will be proved wrong. We'll know early because Essendon in the last month or last four games have started terribly in every game. We'll see whether or not their heart's in it very early. And if their heart isn't in it, they'll be eviscerated by Port Adelaide. Eviscerated, I like that word. Uh, Port Adelaide for both of us. Saturday evening at the Gabba, GWS taking on Melbourne in a, uh, I guess, a virtual elimination final. You've got to ask, though, do either of these teams actually want a final spot? Less than convincing, of course. The Demons recently have dropped games to Sydney and then Fremantle last Monday night. GWS having just come off a loss to Adelaide and were also stitched up by Sydney recently. Um, Who is the most motivated of these two sides to actually get that last final spot? A bit of a a touch of the Stephen Bradbury's about this game. Talent for me says that Giants do have the edge here. Uh, Probably a fraction more reliable also, although that's... uh, not setting a high bar given the opposition. Um, Josh Kelly, will he come back from concussion? That could be the difference and give him enough of an edge in midfield. Although Melbourne's midfield is probably the one most consistent part of their game, at least in terms of getting hands to the footy. As we've learned, though, with the Demons, it's what they do once they get their hands on the footy that often seems to be the issue, just not very potent at all. Up forward, I think the Giants get home in this one, finally, not by a lot, but uh, probably by a couple of goals. Those beautiful old boxing posters where they had the big title fight, you know, in huge letters, and then underneath the main um, preliminary bout, and they got smaller and smaller till you got to the first bout of the evening. That's where this game belongs, even though they are both positioned near the eight. It should be a do-or-die clash for a spot in the eight. To me, it's the tepid versus the putrid, and you can take your pick. Who's tepid, who's putrid? But I'm actually going to go with Melbourne supporters on this because Melbourne fans who go week in, week out, one of them told me this is exactly the sort of game they win. The eight's not going to happen. That should have been the game against Fremantle. They'll come out and beat a GWS, but to no great purpose other than to further frustrate Melbourne fans. GWS don't deserve to get tipped in anything. They just got beaten by Adelaide. Melbourne for mine. Well, GWS also have a habit of sort of turning things around uh, with alacrity just when you least expect it. So, again, it's certainly a clash of the unreliables. But we differ on this one. GWS for me, Melbourne for you. Sunday afternoon. It's interesting, though, that it, Rowan, it's interesting that both sets of fans, whoever wins, I reckon the supporters of the winning team will have a level of anger, no matter... You know, because they'll say, yeah, great. But how about, you know, last week when it, you know, uh, so frustrations will not be eased by a win in this one. No, true enough. Uh, Sunday afternoon, 105 at Metricon Stadium, Carlton taking on Adelaide. And uh, this one has a different complexion to how it looked a couple of weeks ago. 
the Blues fresh off that uh, rousing comeback against the Swans and uh, getting over the line in that. Adelaide going for their third win in a row. Uh, a remarkable turnaround in form on their part. Uh, a key here is uh, an absentee, Jack Martin, uh, who injured a calf for the Blues. He's been pretty important for them this season and a major plus. Does that make the difference? No, probably not. Look, I really like what Adelaide's doing just in terms of finding the enthusiasm to keep plugging away and having realised a couple of wins out of it. They'll have their tails up. I think uh, having to go interstate uh, will make a difference. They've been able to play at home for a while now, which has certainly helped uh, Carlton already acclimatise. So I think that is a factor as well. And Carlton, let's be honest, I mean, Adelaide's still on the bottom of the ladder. Carlton, the more talented team. No reason to think they can't keep that uh, rousing comeback form going and parlay that into another victory, keeping those slim finals hopes alive. But importantly, still alive. Blues for me. And finally, uh, let, us, let it not be said that we don't break news on this show. As we record, breaking news just coming through now, Bryce Gibbs who played for both these clubs, of course, has just announced his retirement. So perhaps we can have a non-sarcastic Bryce Gibbs Cup. Of course, uh, I think it was uh, Carlton and Melbourne playing for that one a few years back. But uh, Bryce Gibbs announcing his retirement. Um, will that impact the result of this game? I doubt it. But uh, what do you think is going to happen? Well, might impact it because he's... That means he's playing, so they've got to bring Bryce Gibbs in. I wonder who gets dropped from that great win for Bryce Gibbs. Hopefully they've got an injury because nobody deserved to be dropped after they beat GWS, but he'll have a farewell game, which is nice. Um, I'm tipping Adelaide. I think their midfield is, you know, the two Crouches are playing really well at the moment. As Sloan, as I mentioned previously, O'Brien should have the whip hand in the ruck. And they've actually got a very good player to put onto Cripps because Keyes has had a good year run with and he's got the physical size to match Cripps. I'm putting a bit of faith in an Adelaide forward line that only two weeks ago I said couldn't kick more than five goals. Well, in that two weeks, they've had two wins. We know the Carlton fade in and out of games. So we can't expect four quarters from Carlton. And I just think if Adelaide get a sniff, they're really enjoying themselves at the moment and they might go on and win it. Adelaide for me. Yeah, uh, it's, it would be a surprise, but not a major surprise, certainly. Okay, we differ on that one as well. Sunday, 3.05 local time, 3.35 Eastern Standard Time. Hawthorne taking on the Western Bulldogs. Now, here's another in that uh, season can't finish quick enough camp. Uh, talking about Hawthorne. Oh, they were okay against St Kilda, mate. Yeah, they're okay. I was about to say that, but uh, the bottom line is they have still lost their last six and 10 of their last 11. It's been a long, long time since you talked about a Hawthorne side losing 10 of 11 games. That is remarkable. Uh, James Warple, AC joint injury. Uh, that is a major out for them. Uh, so no excuses for the doggies in this one. Look like getting Eastern Wood back from a hamstring injury. Uh, apart from that, they've got a pretty clean bill of health and playing some pretty decent footy. 
and still, of course, with finals hopes alive. So no excuses for them for dropping this one. And I'm very confident in saying they won't drop this one. I think they're too quick for the Hawks. Their ball movement is a real major weapon for them. Good enough to get the win. I think they will win pretty comfortably. Yeah, any, any which way you look at it, the doggies will win the game. Whether they pulverise them or not depends on um, what sort of appetite the Hawks have for the game. And I just, for the doggies, you just want to see a, a sharpness that they can take into the last round and then into the finals. And I think they'll make the finals. So I've done the math. Um, so, yeah, it's an important game, not only for the four points, which I think is theirs, but also to set in motion or keep in motion a, a team that could be quite a menace come finals time. All right, Bulldogs for both of us, uh, which leaves two games in round 17. Now, there's a Monday night game, Collingwood Gold Coast. We will hold off on the preview of that until our Sunday edition. Uh, but there is one game before that, of course, Sunday, 6.10pm, up in Cairns. It is Sydney taking on Brisbane. Brisbane, of course, uh, relatively short turnaround for them. Well, not relatively short, a very short turnaround for them. Uh, the Swans, well, short turnaround for them too. They played on the Tuesday, didn't they? Brisbane uh, thought it began to tick over a bit more um, encouragingly for the Lions in that win over Gold Coast. Tougher opposition this time. Sydney would be stinging a bit about having surrendered that 39-point lead against the Blues. Does that result in victory this time? I don't think so. Brisbane need to keep winning to ensure a top-two spot, which, of course, gives them not only a double chance, but two home finals, which have become three if they reach the grand final. So this is the game in which they could basically... Uh, well, it could mean the difference between prime seats on the wing for the big day of the year or uh, standing room and having to get there at 9am and watch the under-19s. I think they will win uh, because they need to win. I think Sydney will give them enough think music in the meantime, but Brisbane, the better lineup, I think they emerge with the four points finding. Yeah, one thing we've learned about Kazali Stadium is there's wind there. Uh, we've seen a bit of rain up there this time of the year. Conditions can be tricky. Makes it hard for goal kicking. Put the Brisbane Lions up there, they could kick no goals 20. But I think they will kick a winning score, not just because they've got more to play for, but, you know, as much as Sydney does have a, a, a list and a, a, an 18 or a 22 that offers promise for the future. They did surrender a seven-goal lead to Carlton, and there are still some misses in the machine. No, out of, not out of respect, out of football understanding of that very good midfield, Hipwood, you know, Lockie Neal, I think he just about won the Brownlow uh, against Gold Coast. That might be the game where he gets over the line. Uh, Hipwood, as I say, bar goal kicking, an excellent target. Cameron starting, as soon as he took all the bandages and crepe off his legs and shoulders and stuff, he's looking his better self. Isn't that funny how sometimes players have to um, 
take off all that extra uh, protective gear and all the bandaging, even though they've had no real change in their injury status to free them up a bit of mind. I think well, Cameron's most, in that. Yeah, most famously, yeah. Uh, Sean Wren in that 1997 preliminary final against the Bulldogs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, deep, disrobed and, of course, uh, went on to have a great um, grand final. Bastard. So, yeah, no problem tipping Brisbane. All right, uh, Brisbane, for both of us there, which brings us to the end of this program, uh, Finies. So uh, probably timely that you give a shout-out to our sponsors. Before I do that, Rowan, Yes. Can I have an, an emergency unscheduled rant? It'll be a quick oh. one, I promise. Uh, well, it goes against Footyology podcast regulations. Just let me check with the executive producer. Hang on a sec. Uh, Finding wants to do a ramble. He's uh, something. I don't know. Is that okay? Again? What? Yeah. Okay. All right, Finding. Uh, executive producer's cleared it with me and you can do it. Actually, I want to change my rant. I want to do one about Rowan Conley living on his own for too long. <laughs> All right, just get on with it. <laughs> um, all right, count me in. Okay, three, two, one, rant. If uh, people overseas actually understood the rules of Australian rules football and had an appetite to watch it, we would be the laughing stock of the professional sporting world, and I mean that most seriously. Don't worry about the bigger story this year being hubs, being COVID, being players breaking from the camps and being sent back home. They're all big stories. But for me, a story just as big has been the total mismanagement of the game, of one of the major rules of the game by the powers that be. We have got a fiasco that I've never seen in football before. Consider this. Holding the ball starts the year as it always does. About a month in, Alistair Clarkson cracks the shits at a press conference. And for the next three weeks, we have incredibly unpredictable and unfair holding the ball decisions paid across all nine games around. And then, as soon as it appears, it starts to disappear. And now... We have gone back so far the other way, it is impossible to get holding the ball. Players are being spun around with the ball so many times. I'm not talking 360 degrees. I'm talking 720s. And who knows what the next multiple of 360 is. That it's like a roulette wheel. I'm waiting for the croupy air to yell out no more bets. Players are dropping the ball hatching it, prior opportunity out the window to the point where there was prior opportunity. Uh, a play was said no prior opportunity. He having taken advantage from a free kick in a Geelong game against Essendon. This is an embarrassment for the AFL. Not only mismanaged, not managed. Holding the ball is now gone. We have had no reason why. It's arbitrary. It is unpredictable. It leaves the fans agape. Even the players are scratching their heads. It is absolute amateur hour. End rant. Ah, very, very articulately expressed and very on point. Yep. I, I, uh, even I've been annoyed by 
the recent or most recent version of them failing to pay it enough. And it's certainly something that's going to need some attention come the end of a season. In fact, you, you fired me up, Fanny. You fired me up so much. There's only one thing that's going to make me feel better right now, and that is a big, juicy hamburger. Well, check with your executive producer. I know him, and I reckon he'd like one as well. All right, hang on a two. sec. Wait. Okay. Hey, Conway wants a burger. Can you have one? Oh, come on. He's fat enough already. God. Yeah, just a one. Okay. All right. Yep. No, it's okay. You can have one. All right. You're like the, you're like, you're like the future um, uh, main character in a Hitchcock movie. <laughs> the one that loses his shit and kills a whole yeah. lot of people. Crazy. <laughs> Next by Hitchcock. I'm going to start um, taking. I'm going to start taking candid photos and stalking myself soon. Um, no, no, I know what you're going to start doing. What? You're going to start. Um, stop shaving, growing a beard, and harvesting your own fingernails. No, I already do that. Uh, or I wasn't just that, wasn't that how it goes? <laughs> I, I don't know. I wish I had his money. Just plug the sponsors. <laughs> Andrew's hamburgers, good for the same and for Rowan Connolly at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. They're beautiful burgers. And don't forget West Point Properties. If you need a new rebuild for your house, Rowan's getting a padded cell put in his, <laughs> then head to West Point Properties. I had a dream about Nick Spartels last night and it was bloody weird. You know what I dreamt? This oh. is really weird. I dreamt that there was like a, a, a new order. So he was heading up a group sort of taking power in Victoria. <laughs> and he let me into the group. He warned me that the area between North Road and McKinnon Road in East Brighton, McKinnon area, I shouldn't go there because they'd laid mines there. It was a minefield. And he also told me that the first order of business for the new government was a $35 note. <laughs> Great. Uh, geez. Well, why doesn't the uh, bizarre nature of your dreams surprise me? Actually, I'm, I'm going to talk to Nick about installing a minefield around my uh, unrenovated property. That could be the most uh, uh, effective measure I could probably implement. All right. Uh, great sponsors. Uh, great audience. Uh, our executive producer wants you to know you're a great audience as well. Thanks for your support. Uh, we'll be back. Actually, if you're listening to this on Thursday, we'll be back for Footyology Final Siren live on Twitter after tonight's big St Kilda West Coast game. Check out footyology.com.au for some great material, not just on footy, but on film, on movies, on society, and some really good stuff there this week, including Martin Flanagan, Shelley Ware, and uh, a ripping... Uh, interview Francis Leach has done about uh, music and upcoming music artists you can read tomorrow. Some good stuff there, footyology.com.au. Hope your team had a win or is about to get a win, depending upon what their status actually is. I've gone completely barking mad. Um, we'll speak to you on Sunday, hopefully. <laughs>